Welcome, my friends. Welcome to another episode of the Corbett Report. I am your host, James Corbett, podcasting to you, as always, from the sunny climes of Western Japan on this 29th day of June, 2008. I'd like to encourage all of my listeners to visit the homepage for the Corbett Report podcast at CorbettReport.com, C-O-R-B-E-T-T Report.com. There you will not only be able to access all of our previous episodes of the Corbett Report podcast, but also you'll be able to find the documentation list for this and indeed every episode, which lists all of the documents, videos, and audio files cited in today's episode by time index. You'll also find articles, interviews, and videos from the Corbett Report. I'd also like to take this opportunity to thank those listeners who have recently donated to the Corbett Report chip-in event to help finish our event for raising funds to buy a new telephone for the Corbett Report to conduct interviews. The new telephone has been purchased, and the results will be immediately evident as we have some excellent interviews lined up for you in the coming weeks. Please stay tuned for those interviews. The next chip-in event will be to raise funds for an MP3 recorder for the Corbett Report to upgrade its recording capabilities for live and for telephone interview captures. Again, for those listeners who are regular listeners to the Corbett Report but have not yet contributed, I'd like to ask your support in helping to keep this podcast growing and expanding. For those listeners who have already contributed to the Corbett Report, once again, thank you for all of your support. And now, without further ado, let's get to today's real news. Today's first news story comes from WashingtonPost.com, June 28, 2008. U.S. settles with scientists named in anthrax cases. The Justice Department agreed yesterday to pay biological weapons expert Stephen J. Hatfill a settlement valued at $5.85 million to drop a lawsuit he filed after then-Attorney General John D. Ashcroft named him a person of interest in the investigation of the deadly 2001 anthrax attacks. The agreement, in which the government did not admit wrongdoing, ended a five-year legal saga. It came after months of mediation in a case that pitted investigators and major news organizations against the scientist, who said his privacy rights had been violated in the race to solve the notorious crimes. Hatfill, who once worked at the Army's elite Biological Warfare Research Center at Fort Detrick, Maryland, has always maintained that he played no role in the mailing of lethal powder to lawmakers and media figures weeks after the September 11th attacks. He said the information that law enforcement agents supplied to the media cost him a job and any chance of employment. I don't think anyone would believe the Department of Justice would pay that kind of money unless they felt there was significant exposure at trial, said Brian A. Sun, a defense lawyer who represented nuclear scientists Wen Ho Lee in a leak case. Our second story comes to us from MSN Green. Make love the green way. Okay, so you've reduced the amount of waste you produce, reuse things whenever you can, and recycle them when you can't. You've bought organic cotton sheets. What about going green between the sheets? The ethical hedonism trend is growing. Ecosex is hot. And you can be too. 
by converging sexiness, style, and ecological sustainability. Environmental activist group Greenpeace says you can be a bomb in bed without nuking the planet and has released a guide to environmentally friendly sex that lists strategies for getting it on for the good of the planet. Treehugger, an Ontario-based online magazine, has also published a How to Green Your Sex Life guide and environmentally sustainable adult products. Our final story this week comes from the Associated Press, June 21st, 2008. Everything seemingly is spinning out of control. Is everything spinning out of control? Midwestern levees are bursting. Polar bears are adrift. Gas prices are skyrocketing. Home values are abysmal. Airfares, college tuition, and healthcare border on unaffordable. Wars without end rage in Iraq, Afghanistan, and against terrorism. Horatio Alger, twist in your grave. The can-do bootstrap approach embedded in the American psyche is under assault. Eroding it is a dour powerlessness that is chipping away at the country's sturdy conviction that destiny can be commanded with sheer courage and perseverance. The sense of helplessness is even reflected in this year's presidential election. Each contender offers a sense of order and hope. Republican John McCain promises an experienced hand in a frightening time. Democrat Barack Obama promises bright and shiny change, and his large crowds believe his exhortation, Yes, we can. Even so, a battered public seems discouraged by the onslaught of dispiriting things. An Associated Press Ipsos poll says a barrel-scraping 17% of people surveyed believe the country is moving in the right direction. That is the lowest reading since the survey began in 2003. Welcome to episode 48 of the Corbett Report, How to Read the News. These days, everybody, regardless of their political affiliation, will readily admit that the corporate-controlled media does not accurately portray the stories that they present on the evening news. Now, many who have not completely busted out of their controlled corporate media paradigm and programming will defend the corporate-controlled media by saying that it's a formal matter, that the limitations of the two-minute news story or even the 30-second news bite does not really allow the corporate-controlled media the time or the space to accurately flesh out the issues in order to better present the story as a whole. Listeners to The Corporate Report, of course, know better, knowing that the corporate-controlled media just simply refuses to report on the really groundbreaking news stories and uses spin, lies, distortion, manipulation, and outright fabrications to twist those stories they actually do present. Now, it's very obvious that the controlled corporate media can easily limit our understanding of the news by simply refusing to report on something. One prime example of that, and one that I keep coming back to time and again throughout the corporate report because it is so astounding, is the release last year of an audio deathbed confession of one of the CIA black ops specialists and field commanders who actually admitted in this deathbed audio confession released last year to being part of the conspiracy to murder JFK, a conspiracy that he claims was carried out by various people operating in the intelligence agencies as well as in government, and he points the figure all the way up the chain of command to LBJ, the man who would become the president after JFK's death. Again, this is startling, groundbreaking, important information that people should get out to everyone. But the corporate-controlled media has deemed it not even important enough to publish a single word about this story. Except, of course, for Rolling Stone magazine. Again, incredible, groundbreaking, earth-shattering, paradigm-busting information that just won't be reported on, and therefore, in the minds of the general public, does not exist. Or incredible stories like J.P. Morgan Chase's risk management consultant Indira Singh's story about P-Tech and their various connections to both global designated terrorists and the CIA, FBI, White House, FAA, NORAD, etc. 
Again, stories like that can effectively be buried by simply never being reported. But the focus of today's episode will be to take those reports that do come out in the corporate-controlled media and examine them, look at the propaganda, and find out exactly how these stories are constructed, how they're spun, how they're manipulated, in order to further an agenda and further control our perception of the news. Now, admittedly, that's a rather large task, but it's one that no concerned citizen in these dying days of representative government can afford to shirk. We must question the received wisdoms which are being communicated to us through this mass media manipulation. To that end, let's start by taking a look at some examples from two of the best researchers in the field today. That is, of course, one researcher who needs no introduction to listeners of the Corbett Report, Alex Jones, and also to Alan Watt. We're going to listen to examples of how they dissect the news and look at the stories behind the story. Look at the way the words are manipulated. Look at the way facts are left out. Look at the way other facts are manipulated or distorted in order to shape our perception of each news story. So let's start by taking a look at this shocking story which first aired on Fox News in January of this year about a dangerous new threat which can only be counteracted by an ever-encroaching police state cracking down on everyone. Have you heard about this new thing going on in Great Britain that Al-Qaeda rooting up all these Britons, essentially? 1,400 strong, apparently, in a new, what's being called a new white Al-Qaeda army. Tougher to detect, potentially. Yeah, because so they're not be, Muslims. They look just exactly like right. regular British people. They're, they're converts. Also, we're going to talk more about the controversial subject regarding al-Qaeda. Are they recruiting a white army now in Great Britain? Some people say it's 1,400 people strong. And why is that important? Because this is what we've always talked about, that if you have people in one country transplanting to another religion and they maybe aren't exactly what you think they are, that can be more difficult to fight. Yeah, they're converting them in prison to, uh, to extremist to Muslims. Yeah, okay, great. Now, here's Mr. Happy, Brian Kilman. I'm always happy because Mike Baker's here. There's word that Al-Qaeda is building up a white terror army of up to 1,500 operatives in the U.K. How soon could they strike us here, and would they be trying to do something similar using convicted criminals? Mike Baker served for more than 15 years as a covert op uh, operations officer until I blew his cover. He's here in studio. Mike, how... how Thanks for that, by the way. No, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah, I owe you a favor. Yeah. Uh, so, Mike, I forced you out of the business, so tell me, uh, pretend you're back in. Uh, is this a big deal? Uh, it, it is a big deal in a sense. This is some uh, an area where al-Qaeda and, and the CIA and other intel services around the country actually have something in common. We're all looking for the same thing, which is uh, individuals who can blend in. From our side, we're looking for people, obviously, who can penetrate al-Qaeda. Uh, most agency officers, most uh, uh, officers from other liaison services don't blend into al-Qaeda. So we're looking for people who we can fit into there as penetrations. Al-Qaeda, on the other side of the fence, they're doing the same thing. I mean, obviously, if they could recruit a Scandinavian, that's the holy grail for them. They need people who can move around freely and do their bidding. And converted, people who convert to Islam sometimes are more militant than those who were born that way, correct? <laughs> yeah, you tend and to they, get and converts. They always go to prisons, too, to get, their, to get their recruits. Right. You can argue the converts are always a little bit more zealous in terms of their religious fervor, but... Um, Part of the problem with al-Qaeda is that to go into a prison and try to recruit individuals, that person's already tainted. What they really need are they need people who haven't you know, run afoul of, of law enforcement in the past. Uh, and, and so, in a sense, their, their, their problems are, are, are extreme in trying to recruit someone who can go out there and, and carry out their business. Oh my God, it's worse than we ever thought. I guess al-Qaeda really could be anyone. Well, I guess the only possible solution to this is to get everyone on a national ID card system with biometric identifiers so that we have to swipe our card every time we make a purchase or every time we cross a border. Well, yes, I mean, I guess it's going to look like Nazi Germany in every respect, but it's different this time. I mean, we're fighting this Al-Qaeda enemy, and Al-Qaeda could be anyone, so I'm happy to carry my national ID card and do whatever the authorities say. And they are authorities. They're not civil servants. Well, yes, I think for my listeners it's probably not too hard to see through the shallow, empty rhetoric and propaganda of that news story. 
But there is a larger picture here that really needs to be articulated carefully. So to analyze this propaganda, let's turn to Alex Jones, who discussed this particular controlled corporate media fabrication on his podcast on January 15th of 2008. Let's take a listen to this analysis of that news story. You see, they're building up this huge anti-terror complex. 10% of the college graduates to be Homeland Security or security-related. They're shifting the entire infrastructure over. The military-industrial complex is literally absorbing the United States, Europe, Canada. Uh, that is the new economy. It is the economy of dominance and control over the population. Now, real terrorists, even if you believe al-Qaeda exists and that terror attacks in this country and Europe exist, it is as rare as being struck by lightning three times in a row. I mean, you have thousands and thousands and thousands of times uh, better chance dying of carbon monoxide in your house from your furnace or carbon dioxide. You have thousands and thousands of better chance. Go pull it up in the almanac. In fact, reporters have broken down the numbers. Thousands and thousands of better chance of drowning in your bathtub, hitting your head or having a heart attack in your bathtub, uh, or of getting shot or being beaten over the head with a blunt object. But they've got the entire media, the entire culture, everything is Al-Qaeda. They're under your bed. They're watching you. We've got to face scan you and scan your license plates and have total access to all your web searches and email instantly in a database where everything goes to the NSA. Already set up over a decade ago, 12 years ago now. Hard to believe 96 was 12 years ago. But see, now they're announcing it. And, oh, you've got to have a national ID card. It's really internationalized. And now they've publicly announced that it's been merged with the British and the Germans and the Japanese. Told you that five years ago. Now they've announced it yesterday. Oh, guess what? This was all merged. See, it's all happening. And then, oh, guess what? Al-Qaeda has recruited 1,400 blonde-haired, blue-eyed people. They're everywhere. And at the end of the report, they say, could they do that? Notice they slip that in. First, they report it's happened. This is the same media that will tell you the top Al-Qaeda leaders have been killed 14 times apiece. And then announce the next week they've been killed again and never retract the last statement. This is the same group that claims Iran is funding al-Qaeda when Iran is Shiite-run, the arch enemy of the Wahhabist sect that is known as al-Qaeda out of Saudi Arabia that our government hired in 79, six months before the Russians invaded, to have them launch attacks on the Russians so the Russians would invade. By the way, that's now declassified. I told the uh, Peter Boyle show that in Denver, the number one show there, and they is, he, he was speechless. He didn't believe me. And Brzezinski's book's public. You can go read excerpts of it. And we already knew that, but now it's public. Uh, and then, of course, Bush announces four months ago what what the New York um, New Yorker reported, Cy Hearst, that they're using five different Wahhabi al-Qaeda groups headed up by the number three in al-Qaeda, who's known CIA, to attack Iran, blow up dams, shoot police. There's terror attacks on a daily basis across Iran. I mean, they're under massive terror attack. And the media then says they're behind al-Qaeda when al-Qaeda publicly works for the White House and publicly is attacking them. Then they go on Fox News, and they announce they foiled an al-Qaeda plan to blow up the Liberty Tower. Then they show the image of a laser beam shooting out of the air and blowing up the tower from a movie, Independence Day. And it turns out that's not even the name of the building, but who cares with the dumbed-down public? Just call it Liberty Tower, because now Liberty's under attack, and show a flying saucer blowing it up to create archetypal fear. I mean, they have hit levels of propaganda I've never before seen. Now, all the real quiet anti-terror training that's going on behind the scenes, all of the police state activities that are taking place across the world, the FBI training manuals, the training videos, the actual footage we have of FEMA training, huge rooms of police, firemen, sheriff's deputies, 
They're there saying gun owners, anti-UN groups, people who talk a lot about the Constitution. These are exact quotes. That's where all the training is. And then the NPR shows and the, and the TV programs and the front lines. It's all about Muslims and Muslim communities and how they're being harassed by the FBI. That's all the, so people who are, even if they're not racist, they don't care as much about the foreigner. Well, that's just them. But really, literally 90 plus percent of the mechanism has always been aimed at mainline Americans. You could be Hispanic, black, white, but mainly the white male. They even teach in these things that white males are the most dangerous. There's a bunch of FBI manuals. Don't believe me, just type into Google. FBI manual says white males most dangerous. And that, and, and that, uh, look for, there's so much of this, we can't even put it in one report. Look for the quiet white male. The one who keeps to himself at work and locks his desk. The white male who password protects his computer. The white male who's clean cut and wears a suit and tie. Oh, yeah, the, the, the FBI's taught that right here in Austin. We have footage of that. Oh, he dresses nice. He's clean cut. He, he drives a nice car. He's quiet. Now, the entire mechanism... And they're now filling the FBI with foreigners, with other intelligence agency people, jamming the CIA full of foreigners who themselves hate Americans and have been counter-programmed by the image of the white FBI agent persecuting them. They're now being put into the positions, and it's actually going to be a horde of foreigners that actually rule over us domestically. See how sophisticated that is? People running things are slick. But again, they've hired the former head of the Stasi, the former head of the KGB, Primakov, and Wolf. Uh, they brought them over here. They have the same things in their nations, in East Germany and Russia and in the different satellites. They bring somebody from one end of Russia, from Mongolia, and then they drag them way over to the western side on the border with Ukraine or Georgia. It's the same tricks. So they literally on Fox News show some video of white guys... Clearly, it's police in a training seminar with a rocket launcher and black mask. And then they just say they're white terrorists everywhere, 1,400, a huge army. They're blonde-haired. They're blue-eyed. And then simultaneously, they're running all these newscasts about how We've got to have the National ID Card, Real ID Act to stop Al-Qaeda from getting in the country, when in reality, Al-Qaeda was CIA. They told the embassy heads, let them in, when the embassy was blocking them in Canada, in Saudi Arabia. And they were trained at bases. And they're protected. And they're openly hired by the White House for three-plus years to launch a covert war against the Iranians. Look into it. The White House, four months ago, actually put out a press release and said, yeah, we're using these five groups, and yeah, they're Wahhabist, to attack. But again, the average cop, the average citizen, the average person driving along in a car doesn't know what a Wahhabist is, doesn't know what a Shiite is, so they can tell them Iran's Al-Qaeda. It doesn't matter anymore. I mean, it is becoming so surreal when they say the government's going to control our thermostats by remote control, mainstream news. The government's going to control our TVs and radios by remote control, mainstream news, to give us emergency announcements so they turn the TV on and make announcements. That's mainstream news. The government's going to take our organs forcibly. Uh, the government, I mean, just all the news we've seen the last couple of weeks, it's all getting weirder and weirder and weirder and just, yeah, we're going to read all your emails and all your web searches. And then this, the new Al-Qaeda, blonde-haired, blue-eyed Westerners, Fox News hysteria labels Caucasians with no criminal record as new breed of terrorist. I mean, if you didn't know Al-Qaeda was a hoax, and you didn't know that was staged, you've got to know this is staged. And that's why they put out manuals that say if someone has a roadmap and a almanac in their car, they'll go ahead and search them, that's a sign of terrorism. Well, I actually have road almanacs in my car. I mean, everyone does who's got half a brain. And remember uh, the, the, the manuals they put out that said, right after 9-11, that said, a woman with a baby carriage, a white priest, people you'd never think were terrorists, that's who they'll be.
And see, it's about buying into a mass psychosis, a mass hysteria with cops running around in high and tight haircuts and bloused, uh, you know, uniforms with their with their jeans or the, the, their pants tucked into black boots, running around, looking around every corner. Oh, there's Al Qaeda. Oh, 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 yeah. When you're gonna see a unicorn before you're gonna see an Al Qaeda, you're gonna see a, a, a elk. I mean, they're that rare. They don't exist. Now, for those of you who are thinking that this is just a Fox News propaganda piece and therefore doesn't really deserve as much attention as we've been giving it, there's really no doubt that this is actually a talking point that's been handed down from on high. And evidence of that comes from an evaluation of the development of this story from its first appearance in The Scotsman on January 13th, 2008, in a story entitled Al-Qaeda's White Army of Terror, where they claim that there's an army of 1,500 white Britons being trained in the ways of radical Islam to wage war, or jihad, making the bizarre, even ludicrous claim that this is a well-established trend in the United States because, quote, American-born Adam Gadon is one of the FBI's top ten most wanted terrorists after converting to Islam and rising through Al-Qaeda's ranks to become a prominent spokesman. Of course, anyone who actually knows who Adam Gadon is knows that this is ludicrous, and for that you might want to turn to a story from PrisonPlanet.com from January 7th, 2008, entitled Double Agent Gadon Threatens Bush in Neocon Stunt, which reads in part, quote, Adam Perlman, the Jewish Mossad agent who once wrote stinging essays condemning Muslims as bloodthirsty terrorists, has once again popped up as an Al-Qaeda spokesman to boost the neocons' imperial agenda by threatening George Bush on the eve of his trip to the Middle East. In a new videotape, Perlman, now calling himself Adam Gadon, states, The occupied territories are awaiting their first visit by the Crusader Bush and the Mujahideen are also waiting for him, reports ABC News. According to the tape, Gadon promises to welcome Bush with bombs and traps. But who is the mysterious Adam Yahie Gadon? The FBI lists Gadan's aliases as Abu Sahayb al-Amriki, Abu Suhayb, Yiha Majadin Adams, Adam Perlman, and Yaya. Adam Perlman is his real name, and his grandfather is none other than the late Carl K. Perlman, a prominent Jewish urologist in Orange County. Carl was also a member of the board of directors of the Anti-Defamation League, which was caught spying on Americans for Israel in 1993. Israel's Mossad intelligence agency was caught in 2002 creating a phony Al-Qaeda group to justify attacks on Palestinians. Perlman has a knack of releasing his tapes at the most politically opportune time for Bush, having first burst onto the scene shortly before the 2004 presidential election, and then again right after Katrina when the president's approval rating was tanking fast. Even more mainstream publications like the Los Angeles City Beat have dismissed Perlman before as nothing more than cartoonish propaganda. End quote. Again, I suggest you look into that entire article for more about Gadon and the ridiculous ruse that's being played there. But for the Scotsman to invoke Gadon as one of the examples of the well-established trend of white terrorists in the U.S. is ridiculous, to say the least. One of the more disturbing aspects of this ridiculous white Al-Qaeda propaganda is its persistence. In March 2008, Reuters picked up the story under the headline Al-Qaeda Recruiting Western Fighters, CIA Boss, which reads in part, quote, Al-Qaeda is training fighters that look Western and could easily cross U.S. borders without attracting attention, CIA Director Michael Hayden said on Sunday. The militant Islamic group has turned Pakistan's remote tribal areas along the border with Afghanistan into a safe haven and is using it to plot further attacks against the United States, Hayden said. They are bringing operatives into that region for training, operatives that wouldn't attract your attention if they were going through the customs line at Dulles, airport outside Washington, with you when you were coming back from overseas, Hayden said during an interview on NBC's television show Meet the Press. They look Western and would be able to come into this country without attracting the kinds of attention that others might, Hayden said, without offering further details. End quote. So again, we have this story continuing to be propagated in the corporate-controlled media based on an unsubstantiated claim by the CIA director. But if it's cartoonish propaganda you're looking for, look no further than this recent telegraph.co.uk story from the 25th of June 2008, 
Blonde white schoolboy is Al-Qaeda extremist, say police. Quote, A schoolboy aged 12 has been identified as an Al-Qaeda-inspired extremist after sending beheading videos to his classmates, police have disclosed. Anti-terrorism chiefs have said the example revealed how violent extremism is spreading like a virus infecting young minds. The blonde white schoolboy from West Yorkshire is among 120 people being dealt with by police in a new anti-terrorism scheme targeting Al-Qaeda-inspired youths. He has been identified only by the initials BC and was reported by his school after he was found circulating video clips of terrorists beheading Westerners. Sir Norman Bettison, chief constable of West Yorkshire, said, That was bad enough, but he also has an unnatural interest in guns and weapons. End quote. Now obviously the propaganda here just gets more and more ludicrous and cartoonish as police and authorities seek more and more ways to crack down on the population through the creation of ridiculous institutions such as entire policing divisions designed solely to nab Al-Qaeda-inspired youth, which of course then have to justify their existence by rounding up hundreds of innocent young children who are acting in ways that many young children have acted in the past. But now, instead of attempting to help these children, they're going to brand them as terrorists and try to lock them away for life. For an excellent analysis of that story, I'd ask my listeners to listen to the June 25th, 2008 edition of the Cutting Through the Matrix program with Alan Watt as the host. We're going to listen to the analysis of Alan Watt about a different article in a moment, but I would be remiss in my duties if I didn't finally wrap up that white Al-Qaeda story with this story from PrisonPlanet.com, June 10th, 2008. Secret Bilderberg Agenda to Microchip Americans Leaked. Quote, Sources from inside the 2008 Bilderberg meeting have leaked the details of what elitists were discussing in Chantilly, Virginia last week, and the talking points were ominous. A plan to microchip Americans under the pretext of fighting terrorist groups which will be identified as blonde-haired, blue-eyed Westerners. Veteran Bilderberg sleuth Jim Tucker relies on sources who regularly attend Bilderberg as aides and assistants, but who are not Bilderberg members themselves. The information they provided this year is bone-chilling for those who have tracked the development of the plan to make the general public consider implanted microchips as a convenience as routine as credit cards. Under the heading of resisting terrorism, there were points made about how the terrorist organizations are recruiting people who do not look like terrorists, blonde, blue-eyed boys. They're searching hard for those types to become the new mad bombers, said Tucker. Ominously, Tucker's source also told him that Bilderberg were discussing the microchipping of humans on a mass scale, which would be introduced under the pretext of fighting terrorism, whereby the good guys would be allowed to travel freely from airports, so long as their microchip could be scanned and the information stored in a database. Tucker said the idea was also sold on the basis that it would help hospital staff treat a patient in an emergency situation, because a scan of the chip would provide instantaneous access to health details. Tucker underscored that Bilderberg were talking about subdermally implanted chips and not merely RFID chips contained in clothing. The discussion took place in a main conference hall and was part of the agenda, not an offhand remark in the hotel bar. Such a bizarre concept may seem unbelievable to some, but over the last 10 years there have been dozens of examples of people accepting implanted chips for a variety of different reasons. In 2004, Mexico's attorney general and 160 of his office staff were implanted with tracker chips to control access to secure areas of their headquarters. End quote. Again, all of those stories are important in helping to unravel this new myth that's being propagated through the controlled corporate media about the blonde-haired, blue-eyed Al-Qaeda. But let's switch tracks for a moment and take a look at this story from BBC News. 4th of June, 2008. Mobile phones expose human habits. Quote, The whereabouts of more than 100,000 mobile phone users have been tracked in an attempt to build a comprehensive picture of human movements. The study concludes that humans are creatures of habit, mostly visiting the same few spots time and time again. Most people also move less than 10 kilometers on a regular basis, according to the study published in the journal Nature. 
The results could be used to help prevent outbreaks of diseases or forecast traffic, the scientists said. It would be wonderful if every mobile carrier could give universities access to their data, because it's so rich, said Dr. Marta Gonzalez of Northeastern University, Boston, U.S., and one of the authors of the paper. End quote. The story goes on, but let's turn now to an analysis of this news article by Alan Watt of CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. Again, this is from his podcast from the 6th of June 2008 edition, which, again, I recommend my listeners download in its entirety so they can listen to for themselves. Please go to CorbettReport.com in the documentation list for the link to CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. And right now, let's listen to Alan Watt talking about this BBC story. And reading this article here about how there's only one of, of a few universities tracking the movements of people. Now, we know that the, the National Security Agency is tracking everybody, and that they're also trying to figure out you and who you talk to and get in all groups in your cluster, as they call it, your own personal cluster of friends, try to get similarities between you and so on, as they, they basically dissect you and then get your whole personality profile together. So this is this uh, Dr. Webb saying this is just the tip of the iceberg, he told the BBC News. Researchers have previously attempted to map human activity using global positioning satellites or surveys, but it's expensive. One innovative approach tracked the movement of dollar bills in an attempt to reconstruct human movements. The study used data from the website whereisgeorge.com, which allows anyone to track a dollar bill as it circulates through the economy. Site so far tracked nearly 130 million notes. Studies such as this suggest that humans wander in an apparently random fashion, similar to a so-called uh, Levi or Levy flight pattern displayed by many foraging animals. You see how we're all being dissected and watched and studied like creatures, just just creatures by these these pe- these psychopaths at the top. There's just no privacy, and and here they are studying and they're into your phone calls and all the rest of seeing what you're doing and talking about because they're, they're fascinated by it. It says here, a man talks on mobile phones in Cuba. All of the mobile phone data was collected anonymously. However, Dr. Gonzalez and her team do not believe this approach gives a complete picture of people's movements. The bills pass from one person to another so they can't measure individual behavior, she explained. The new work tracked 100,000 individuals selected randomly from a sample of more than 6 million anonymous phone users. Each time a participant made or received a call or text message, the location of the mobile base station relaying the data was recorded. Information was collected for six months, but according to the researchers, a person's pattern of movement could be seen in just three. So we can figure it out in three months. Model behavior, the vast majority of people move around over a very short distance, around 5 to 10 kilometers, explained Professor Albert Laszlo Barabasi, another member of the team. Then there were a few that moved a couple of hundred kilometers on a regular basis. The results showed that most people's movements follow a precise mathematical relationship known as a power law. That was the first surprise, he told BBC News. The second surprise, he said, was that the patterns of people's movements over short and long distances were very similar. People tend to return to the same few places over and over. Why is this good news, he asked. If I were to build a model of how everyone moves in society and they were not similar, then it would require six billion different models. Each person would require a different description. Now, models had a basic rule book to follow, he said. This intrinsic similarity between individuals is very exciting and has practical applications, said Professor Barabasi. For example, Professor John Cleland of the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Disease said the study could be of use to people monitoring the spread of contagious diseases. This is the, this is the, the rubbish they're telling the public. Avian flu is the obvious one, he told BBC News, so it's for your own good, you see. But really what they're doing is... Figuring out and feeding all this data into computers is a real, the real gist of what all these organizations are doing. They're using your tax money to do it. It's to work out a society, a workable society, in the transhumanist tradition. 
part cyborg, part this, part that, where everyone's programmed for their jobs and how much communication that they would need to, to have between each other and main computer stations and so on. That's what it's to do with and how satisfied the person would be uh, living in a, a world where they follow instructions all the time, all day long. That is what, this is what this is really all about. They don't spend this kind of money and do this kind of exercise and collect the data because they're worried about the, the avian flu, especially since a good portion of the planet don't have cell phones anyway. But this is a sort of nonsense we get fed. It says here, although the scale of the latest study is unprecedented, it's not the first time that mobile phone technology has been used to track people's movements. Scientists at MIT, now that's a big one, MIT, uh, they get so much government funding, Pentagon funding and so on, to do with high tech. says they've had used mobile phones to help construct a real-time model of traffic in Rome, whilst Microsoft researchers working on Project uh, Lachesis are examining the possibility of mining mobile data to help commuters, uh, or commuters pick the optimum route to work, for example. Location data is increasingly used by forensic scientists to identify the movements of criminal suspects. Well, we're all criminal suspects these days. You know that. Anyone with a thinking brain is now, you know, a terrorist or, or potential terrorist. This is, for example, the technique was used by Italian police to capture Hussein Osman, one of the four men jailed for the failed suicide bombings in London on 21st of July. Failed suicide bombing. I guess he was an attention seeker. Commercial products also exist, allowing parents to track children or for friends to receive alerts when they are in a similar location. These types of devices and projects will continue to grow, Dr. Webb believes, as researchers and businesses find new ways to use the mobile phone networks. There are so many sensors that you could conceivably attach a phone that you could do all kinds of monitoring activities with. Now, we know that the inventor of the cell phone has already put an article out recently uh, where he said that eventually embedding a chip in the person without the need for a phone is really what his end purpose uh, was, hopefully. Be back with more after these messages. Once again, Alan Watt and his expert analysis can be garnered at his website, CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. That was a very wide-ranging analysis on that topic, but I assure my listeners it was not off the mark. Indeed, the article that he alludes to at the end there about the inventor of the cell phone is, in fact, comes from Gizmodo.com from March 27, 2008, under the headline, Cell Phones. Embedded phones will cure what ails you, says father of cell phones. And that reads in part, quote, Martin Cooper, credited at Motorola with the invention of the first cell phone, two pounds with 20-minute battery life, says the next 10 to 15 years will bring embedded phones that will call and answer using thought controls, stay powered by the movement of the body itself, diagnose and cure disease by remotely communicating body issues with hospital computers. There are, as you might expect, some obstacles. Cooper, 79, who since leaving Motorola now runs a company called Arraycom and was instrumental in developing the jitterbug old people's phone, gripes that the embeds will only come when society and industry shape up. People are really conservative, he says, explaining why subcutaneous electronics may not be tantalizing to your mom. End quote. Indeed, there's really no doubt that everything that we are doing electronically these days is being tracked and traced by our ever-loving government. And again, the extent and scope and the implications of the NSA wiretap program and everything that it means, including the fact that it's not really a wiretap when the phone companies really are the NSA and vice versa, is of such magnitude and scope that it, would, of course, would be impossible to go into all the details in this one episode. But I'd just like to turn to this Wired.com article from March 2008 to help illustrate the extent of what we are living under right now. This comes from an article headlined, Report, NSA's Warrantless Spying Resurrects Banned Total Information Awareness Project. Quote, 
total information awareness, the all-seeing terrorist-spotting algorithm meets the mother of all databases that was ostensibly defunded by Congress in 2003, never actually died, and was largely rebuilt in secret by the NSA, according to the Wall Street Journal's Siobhan Gorman. In a fantastic story Monday, Gorman pulls together threads and lays out what many have suspected and alleged in lawsuits. The NSA is collecting and sifting through immense amounts of data about who Americans talk to, what they are interested in, how they spend their money, and where they travel in order to find secret terrorism cells inside America. The NSA is engaged in a widespread mining of so-called transactional data, domestic telephone records, credit card purchases, travel data, international finance data, internet searches, subject lines and headers of emails, pulling in immense data about Americans and foreigners, which it then uses to find particular targets, or even, according to Gorman, to decide what cities to target for blanket surveillance. End quote. Again, please look into that article, which helps to start exposing the immensity of the NSA wiretap program, which, again, we will have to cover in a future episode of the Corbett Report. Now, we've had two expert analyses, one from Alex Jones and one from Alan Watt, and they provide a pretty good basis for us to begin our own analyses of various news stories. Now, of course, any news story that you read in the corporate media is going to have all sorts of layers of unreported facts, unearthed history, and unaired laundry lying right below the surface, so it really doesn't matter where you begin. For today's examples, why don't we just use the three stories from the Real News section of today's podcast? You might remember that the first Real News story was under the headline, U.S. Settles with Scientists Named in Anthrax Cases, from WashingtonPost.com. Now, this story, of course, goes into the story of Steve Hatfill, who was named as a person of interest in the federal investigation into the anthrax attacks of late September-October 2001. Listeners to the Corbett Report might remember from episode 18 that the anthrax attacks, of course, all trace back to anthrax strains that were used by the Pentagon in the U.S. Biological Weapons Program and that there were really only a handful of scientists who had access or the knowledge to commit such an attack, and that it most certainly was not mixed in a bucket in some terrorist's basement. So, one might suspect that the largest investigation in FBI history, presented with such a limited number of suspects, might have, in the last seven years, produced a lead good enough to even bring someone to trial. But... As a matter of fact, no. No one has ever been charged in the anthrax attacks. Of course, Hatfield's name was aired based on some highly dubious evidence that we went into in episode 18 of the Corbett Report. And you might remember Brian Ross, that reporter who reports on CIA workings but is not CIA honest, talking to Charlie Rose about some of these dubious connections between Hatfield and the anthrax attacks. Of course, they went out of their way to say that he was not a suspect, but he was a person of interest, and here's why. Again, Brian Ross doing the CIA and FBI's dirty work for them. Interesting. Now, this WashingtonPost.com article is interesting insofar as it doesn't really go into the history of the investigation at all, except for a couple of paragraphs buried towards the middle and the end of the article. Quote, Justice Department spokesman Brian Rohrkass said the investigation of the anthrax attacks continues. This investigation remains among the department's highest law enforcement priorities, he said. At one point, as many as 35 FBI agents and 15 Postal Inspection Service agents were involved in the probe, which led to interviews of witnesses as far away as Kabul, Afghanistan. No arrests have been made. Representative Rushdie Holt sharply criticized the FBI yesterday for what he called failures in evidence collection and for developing a faulty theory in the case. Holt said he would invite FBI Director Robert S. Mueller III to appear before the Intelligence Oversight Panel of the House Appropriations Committee to explain the status of the investigation. This case was botched from the very beginning, the lawmaker said. End quote. Now that's the very end of the article, and there's no more information provided. 
But don't worry, dear readers, you can count on the House Appropriations Committee to get to the bottom of this FBI bungling, and I'm sure the right people will be brought to justice eventually. Well, not very likely, but the Washington Post may have done some basic research to even give some of the basic facts about the anthrax attacks, such as the fact that the very strain of anthrax used in the attacks traced back to the U.S. Biological Weapons Division. To be clear, this is not a controversial idea or something you'll only find on conspiracy websites. The History Channel now admits that the anthrax attacks were an inside job. Within weeks, five would be dead and thousands of others exposed to one of the deadliest bacteria known to man. There are very few people who have the bench skills to make a product this good. Federal investigators discovered clues to the perpetrator's identity encoded in the bacterium itself. There are 89 different types of anthrax but each one has its own kind of trail. This one led directly back to our own defense establishment. Was the US government hiding a terrorist inside America's biodefense community? Some say yes, and that the official government investigation was a sham. The only people who know anything about the subject are also the suspects. They're protecting this individual. What we're dealing with here is an inside job with a real insider who has secrets that nobody wants to get out. It's going to be too humiliating, too embarrassing. All the spores were sent for immediate forensic testing. By the 10th of October, the analysis of the spores was complete. The results were horrifying. The bacterium that killed Robert Stevens and eventually infected seven of his colleagues was identified as the Ames strain. A strain long favored by and under the near total control of the U.S. Biodefense Program. Now clearly that Washington Post story relies on lies of omission, refusing to tell you important key details about the very case that it purports to be reporting on, in order to mislead you and make you think that you know what's going on, when in fact there's a deep history that you know nothing about from reading that article. Today's second real news story is a different beast altogether, though, operating on a different propagandistic principle. This one relies on buzzwords and catchphrases to make you think that there is an entire system of which you are only dimly aware, and then tries to inform you what that system is so you can keep up with the Joneses, as it were, and remain hip and cool. Let me remind you of that story by reading again the first few paragraphs. Make love the green way. Okay, so you've reduced the amount of waste you produce, reuse things whenever you can, and recycle things when you can't. You've bought organic cotton sheets. What about going green between the sheets? The ethical hedonism trend is growing. Eco-sex is hot, and you can be too. By converging sexiness, style, and ecological sustainability, environmental activist group Greenpeace says you can be a bomb in bed without nuking the planet and has released a guide to environmentally friendly sex that lists strategies for getting it on for the good of the planet. End quote. Now think about how many buzzwords, catchphrases, and meaningless rhetoric you were just bombarded with in just those first two paragraphs of that story. First, you are defined in the second person directly as one of the green acolytes who believes that you must change all of your habits and style of living to conform to the new eco-Nazi principles that have been laid out for you by the green experts in stories very much like this one that you've been subjected to on a nearly daily basis for the last 30 years. Again, we're presented with the catchphrase going green as if it has some meaning beyond doing whatever you're told by the so-called environmental experts who would have you believe that CO2 is not a life-giving gas, but is in fact a vile poison. We're presented with the term ethical hedonism, i.e. having fun and doing whatever you want, but in an ethical way. Of course, this oxymoron is meant to sound both exciting and responsible kind of like myself. We're presented with the idea of eco-sex and being a bomb in bed without nuking the planet. 
as if somehow we are now supposed to associate our most intimate moments with being green and adopting this green lifestyle. This story is attempting to shape your perceptions in a certain way, and it's not being very subtle. It goes on to talk about what products you should buy in order to be environmentally friendly in the sack. Warning that certain popular adult toys are made with PVCs, as if somehow the adult toy industry is really what's causing most of the environmental toxins that are being dumped into the environment these days. Of course, this is just an excuse for most newspapers or lifestyle magazines like MSN Green to write about sex topics in a somewhat respectable manner. But it's definitely playing into an agenda, and it is following a script. The first thing is to define you as a cool, trendy, eco-activist, ethical hedonist, and define you against, therefore, those people who are not quite hip to global warming yet. A good example of that is a story that we read in a previous episode of The Corbett Report in the Real News section from the telegraph.co.uk from the 17th of May 2008, Fat People Blamed for Global Warming. The next step in the Make Love the Greenway propaganda piece is then to tell you how to live your life, micromanage your activities, right down to the daily level, in order for you to conform to this new eco-principle. It tells you, for example, what to do on a date to be environmentally friendly and conscious. For example, attend a critical mass ride on a bicycle built for two. Share messages using products by local craftspeople. Go tobogganing, skating, or bring a ball to the beach. Take a salsa or a craft or other class together. Choose sexy clothing together at your local resale clothing shop. Again, you are supposed to alter all of your daily habits to conform to the new ethical principles defined by eco-activism, or else risk being incredibly unhip like those fat people who are causing global warming. This is, of course, reminiscent of countless injunctions against usual daily activities that we've seen crop up in the major media as the list of environmentally unfriendly activities gets longer and longer and gets more and more intrusive into people's personal lives. An example comes from the Japan Times Online, May 26, 2008. Eat less beef and help the planet, G8 is told. Another example comes from the Herald Sun, October 10, 2007. Greenpeace urges kangaroo consumption to fight global warming. Sometimes the messages that we receive about being environmentally friendly contradict other messages we've received about being environmentally friendly. For example, on July 6th of 2007, the Times Online released a report entitled Green Transport Specialist Tells Its Workers to Get Off Your Bikes. Again, these contradictory messages are part of the programming. It's part of teaching you that no matter what the experts say, you are then supposed to conform to what they have said as if it, that has always been the case. Yes, I know we told you to ride bikes before, but now we're telling you not to ride bikes. Simply conform or else you risk being shunned by your environmentally friendly, ethical hedonist friends. Eventually, of course, these injunctions will invade the most personal or private spheres we have, including your home. For example, on the 14th of September 2007, the Mail Online had a story headlined, Extend your home, prove your green first, say Tories. And then, of course, we're all familiar with that Slate article from September 10th, 2007, Global Swarming. Is it time for Americans to start cutting our baby emissions? And to think that this doesn't always end up with the eugenicist dream of population control, abortion, and other forms of radical austerity, well, guess where this Make Love the Greenway article ends up? It ends with this paragraph under the heading, Safer Sex is Ecosex. Last, but not least, environmentally conscious sex starts with family planning and using protection correctly. Reproduction tops the list of actions that have environmental impact. Make sure any child you have is wanted from the start. End quote. Oh, I see. Well, thank you for telling me how to live, MSN Green, because without that, I don't think I would have ever thought of that. Now, of course, this entire piece corresponds very nicely with what Alan Watt has been talking about quite a lot on his podcast recently, which is that Zbigniew Brzezinski, 
Obama's foreign policy advisor, by the way, wrote in his book, Between Two Ages, America's Role in the Technotronic Era, that eventually we'd be moving into a society where everyone is governed by experts, where everyone listens to what experts have to say in order to know how to do anything in their own personal lives. Again, we're seeing that more and more with these types of pieces that try to tell you exactly how to live your life to conform with someone else's idea of an environmentally friendly lifestyle. Now, the third real news story from today's episode was Everything Seemingly is Spinning Out of Control, which is an extremely bizarre headline, I think you'll agree, for an Associated Press article. Now, this article is essentially one of those fluff news pieces about a poll which has been conducted by the news agency itself, this time an AP Ipsos poll showing that 17% of people believe the country is moving in the right direction. Now, usually these types of opinion poll news stories are really just filler, but this one is extremely unique in how direct it is in telling you that you are a slave. In fact, in several points in the article, it points out specifically not only that people are feeling that the country is moving in the wrong direction, but in fact that they are powerless to change the situation. An example comes from this paragraph. Quote, It is pretty scary, said Charles Truxell, 64, a retired corporate manager in Rochester, Minnesota. People are thinking things are going to get better, and they haven't been. And then you go hide in your basement because tornadoes are coming through. If you think about things, you have very little power to make it change. End quote. The story then goes on to talk about global warming, of course, flooding, food scarcity, rising oil prices, the weak U.S. dollar, and yes, even steroids in baseball, all of which are examples of things which the average person has no control over and which makes people think that everything is spinning out of control. Again, this piece is extremely direct in telling you that you are a slave and almost taunting in the last few paragraphs. Quote, This period has seen intense interest in the presidential primaries, especially the Democrats' five-month duel between Obama and Hillary Rodham Clinton. Records were shattered by voters showing up at polling places, yearning for a voice in who will next guide the country as it confronts the uncontrollable. Never mind that their views of their current leaders are near rock bottom, reflecting a frustration with Washington's inability to solve anything. President Bush barely gets the approval of three in ten people, and it's even worse for the Democrat-led Congress. Why the vulnerability? After all, this is the 21st century, not a more primitive past when little in life was assured. Surely people know how to fix problems now. Maybe. And maybe this is what the 21st century will be about. A great unraveling of some things long taken for granted. End quote. Well, indeed, for researchers of the New World Order, that's exactly what the 21st century is planned to be about by the people at the very top who are making these things happen. So, yes, I guess these AP writers have hit the nail on the head. Again, an extremely bizarre story and very forthright in its treatment of its readers. I suggest you go and read it in its entirety just to see how bizarre a story that really is. But contrary to that article and everything it tries to hammer home about how powerless and helpless you are as an individual to change anything, I hope this Corbett Report podcast instills in its listeners the understanding that you are in fact an extremely important part of the political process and that without you acting as your own leader, as your own media, as your own inspiration even, and getting out there and getting informed and getting others informed, Nothing will change. But if you do that, things can change on a massive scale, as we've seen with other researchers that we've talked to and talked with on this program before, and with the exciting work done by groups like We Are Change. Again, it doesn't matter what you call yourself, what organizations you join, or what organizations you don't join. All that matters is that you get out there and you start researching things for yourself filling in the gaps that the controlled corporate media won't fill in for you. Things will not be handed to you on a silver platter, but with your own research and with the help of other researchers, you can come to a greater understanding of what is happening in the world today. That's it for today. I am your host, James Corbett. Please join me again next week 
for another edition of the Corbett Report. A billion people died on the news tonight But not so many cried at the devil's side Well, Mama said, it's just make-believe You can't believe everything you see So baby, close your eyes to the lullaby That it would be alright To put the music behind the news tonight Well mama said You can't believe everything you hear The diegetic world is so unclear So baby close your ears On the news tonight The unobtrusive tones on the news tonight And Mama said Why don't the newscasters cry when they read about people who die At least they could be decent enough to put just a tear in their eye Mama said, it's just make-believe You can't believe everything you see So baby, close your eyes to the lullabies On the news Good evening, I'm Ken Bastida. Dana is off tonight. He was murdered and then set on fire while celebrating his birthday. The body of Jimmy Fresge was found by firefighters on Monroe Street and Tishway in San...